Miles Fisher grew up in a big family. A big family with aspirations just as large as they were. And in many cases, he had a lot to live up to. Most of us know Miles as the actor from Mad Men, Gossip Girl, or the guy that makes those killer YouTube videos. These are things that Miles is proud of, but it's not where he's trying to go these days. After speaking with him, he's extremely aware of his privilege, his upbringing, and the life he's received. But something I drew from this that I could not overlook was throughout our conversations, there was a constant desire for a harmonious family relationship and all that comes with it. So much of a desire, he started a podcast with his dad to pursue further. There just happens to be a lot of other folks along for the ride. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. On this bonus episode, I chat with Miles Fisher, the actor, entrepreneur, and now podcast host. Miles and I chat how he got into acting in his new podcast, Coffee with the Greats. Miles Fisher, how you doing? Buddy. So, you're on the show, but we're talking to you about the show we just did together, but also... We're going to talk a little bit about you and your background because obviously for me, like you have a pretty, I would say I'm very envious of your entire life uh, in the sense that you're, you know, you're this actor, this good looking dude, you've, you know, have great education, you're an entrepreneur, you, you got two happy kids, a family, you got like, you know, when I see you, I'm always like, Miles Fisher is the guy who has his entire life together in every way, shape and form. Buddy, let's 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 peel back the onion and just <laughs> let the next sixty minutes underwhelm you and expose the delicate facade of sincere vulnerability, uh, heartbreak, and, and and frankly shoddy scaffolding just across the board. Oh, uh, uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, where where are you from? I'm from Dallas, Texas, and uh, I I grew up in Dallas until the time I was in high school. And then we moved to Washington, DC. Um, but I had also somewhat grown up, I wouldn't say internationally, but traveling a lot. And my, my father was a, uh, a, a banker, but also a diplomat. And wait, what uh, kind of diplomat? Like, yeah, it, 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 it almost sounds like a dated term, particularly for, uh, an, an American official. He was the trade representative uh, okay. Deputy United States Trade Representative in the Clinton administration, and so essentially, uh, it's a the USTR is a cabinet level position and office, and they negotiate all the trade deals uh, coming in and and going out of of the United States. So his time, he kind of unofficially served, you know, as as one of the heads of NAFTA, which was a huge trade deal around oh, that yeah. time, and yeah. um, and so he and his colleague officially were ambassadors and um you know i think when he was really for several years i, I believe he traveled 240 days out of the year internationally jeez um, which is which is significant and and there are times in my life spent a year in japan when i was five years old and um, my parents met when they were graduate students at oxford so a lot of we call them cousins but they're not really kind of uh friends who are in, okay. in europe who knows but uh, so anyways i'm and and i i went to high school in dc and then um you know i i went to to college up in new england and then i moved to la so i guess i'm just an american mutt really uh yeah. my whole family's back in dallas you the whole family wow and and how many how many family members you have uh you're, it's a I pretty have, big family right it's it's a pretty big crew um i'm one of four children Okay, and uh, and then my on my mother's side, come from a, a a big a big North Texas family, so lots lots of cousins and kind of everyone's spread about. But um, you know, I, I I grew up spending a lot of time with extended family. Yeah, me too. I mean, this is interesting, especially now as a parent, and I'm I kind of wonder if you feel with this too. So much of my, uh, you know, all of my upbringing, all of the like family outings, right? I'm kind of like air quoting that were always done with the the cousins. So that I mean, that was my my dad's brother's kids. And um, then eventually my aunt's kids, all my dad's side of the family, because my dad was one of four kids, the eldest of four. And so we would always all get together at, you know, mama and papa's who, you know, because my dad's from Victoria, Texas. Um, Is that right? Yeah, wow. yeah, because he, my grandpa grew up, he was a, like an aeronautical engineer, 
and and was on a military base for you know hmm. so my dad was like a military brat for a long time but he so it's like but everything revolved around at all times family 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 and right. it's it, you know i think about that now especially as a parent that i'm trying to figure out a way to what does it mean to bring you know some sort of life that I, the life that I had that I'm like projecting onto my kid, like every single parent does for better or for worse. (laughs) Family and also just the changing dynamic of uh, community, hyper kind of immediate community. I'm, I'm talking, you know, next door neighbors in the sense of kind of front porch culture that the block block is kind of your, your distant cousins. And, you know, also as a, as a young guy, I mean, particularly my, my entire uh, taste in music and, and, and clothes and the, the kind of stories I like to read, it all stems from just absorbing from older siblings or older cousins or, okay. uh, you know, when I first got to peek through my, my older cousin's DiscLogic CD binder, <laughs> you know, really, really got a good look at what, you know, a what was he listening to? Uh, just whatever was was fresh on the scene i mean big into acoustic guitar right so if you're talking like a new england prep school thing that's early you know one fell swoop which then became dispatch we're talking like guster maybe jacko pierce but then if you go like you know the the texas kind of summer camp then you have a whole nother type of vibe of you know the young bucks were um Robert Earl King Jr. and then Jack Ingram and Pat Green and Corey Morrow, but it started with Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, David Allen Coe, Merle Haggard, there you know, and you just go. all that. But you wouldn't know that from just keeping your mouth shut and hanging around older kids who came first and they did it better. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was that was my thing too because I remember getting a you know people would have CD players that had tape decks in them and then they would basically like dub you a tape of whatever CD it was and my cousin sure. would dub me you know uh like it was REM's Monster and then you know portions of Weezer's The Blue album and things like that yeah. and I lost my mind and then he gave me uh uh extreme that band you remember there's a yeah. song called more oh. than words <laughs> I, we can we can do we can do a cover right now it's yeah. so good but he just like yeah because so much of my my dad traveled a bunch too when i was younger and so much of my kind of upbringing too because my dad was on the road in a band was like oh i'm gonna you know the, the cool guy that taught me everything you know and I, i'm not complaining it wasn't really my dad it was always uh a, a, it was a family member but it was always like an elder sibling, you know, or, or a cousin, like the cool cousin who would teach me how to draw gestures on my binder because all of a sudden <laughs> it was like really cool to have like fantasy gesture lances and stuff. <laughs> well, the other thing about growing up in, in a household with, with a number of siblings is, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, my wife could get mad at me. Um, my wife's an only child and okay. one of, not contentious, but, sometimes she'll find me just kind of nodding my head, kind of suggesting, Hey, get to the point. Because when she tells a story, it's very slow and drawn out and her parents separated when she was young. And so just Mm -hmm. constant kind of attention. Whereas, you know, I always had people that would say, Hey, uh, shut up or like, get to the (laughs) point. Or if you don't make this quick, we're getting, we're getting into stuff. So just kind of the pace and constantly, you know, Hey, I get one chance to kind of contribute something to the dinner table this better, uh, this better be sharp. I can't really a B test this these days. when you're young. Yeah. yeah. And it's so true. So you, you go to, you go to high school in DC, right? I went to, I went to high school in DC and we were, uh, was this the whole family or the, the whole family, my older brother and sister were both, uh, in college at the time. Okay. And so it was, uh, my younger sister and I, and I'll just say that uh, my father was uh, a presidential appointee, which just means that we were still officially residents of Texas. So we lived in Georgetown, but every summer, you know, every chance we had, we spent extended time uh, back in Dallas. Okay. Uh, And so, yeah. And I, I graduated, I went, I went to a high school uh, right at the national cathedral in Washington, DC. And I remember, I remember a lot, but my kind of the first week of my senior year, uh, I saw with my own eyes, the plane crash into the Pentagon, um, because where I went to high school, the cathedral is at the highest point in all of Washington, DC. Um, 
legally you can't actually build anything higher than than the than the church bells and so you could you can kind of see uh, a full panoramic view and it was the most surreal surreal day of my life up until uh this weird surreal world we are in right now yeah geez uh, yeah don't even get me started but um god that's insane so but i'll, I'll just say uh just because and i've said it to you before uh yeah. but you know jeremy that the genuine nutrition that the blamo podcast has provided i mean i i have listened to every single episode ever uh my buddy Michael Williams, I think, was your third guest seven seasons ago. Yeah, Michael and, was was an early supporter of the pod. Big, big thanks to Michael. Yeah, <laughs> and and a lot of a lot of mutual friends and you know, yeah, Jack Carlson, kind of early on, and and all that, and um, and Coggins, and I find podcasts to uh, really get to the nuance of conversation, and particularly when it comes to initially men's fashion. And just this desire that we have to uh, express ourselves in a colorful way. I bring all that up because I went to a high school where I had to wear a jacket and tie every day in high school, every single day. I had to wear a jacket and tie. And um, did you like that? Well, I fit into my dad's hand-me-downs, and so he would get these, you know, suits that were very well priced in the '80s in Hong Kong. You know, there for 24 wow. hours, and Sammy suits would cut these out. And you know, as one did, the whole point of these quick turnarounds is you could order kind of four suits at a time. Yeah, and. Um, and so he just had all these in a musty old closet and I could wear those to high. I kind of had to wear them or it would be some boxy, you know, single Brooks Brothers blazer, which I always had. But I came to love it because the what you, you know, when you're in high school, you just realize, oh, uh, a sports coat is just a man purse. You have external pocket right, external pocket left, interior pocket left, interior pocket right. Y- yeah. it, it has heat regulation. You can throw <laughs> it off and tuck it in. You figure out how to hide stuff in the pockets. and you know, the, the thing, uh, just became a, a dirt mothball by the end, but I, uh, I quite liked it. And so I expressed myself through ties or shirts or whatnot. And I just well, loved in the uniform. What are you allowed to change? Did you have to have the same like shirt, tie, pant, you know, no. and you could wear tennis shoes or what you could wear? Uh, yeah, they had to be lace up shoes mm-hmm. and they had to be slacks. So no denim, um, and then a button-down shirt with a tie and a jacket. And then it was up to the teacher's uh, permission if you could take off your jacket once class started and put it on the back of your chair. Uh, it, okay. was a, it was a wonderful school, to be honest. It was a school called St. Albans. And, but it was a bit old-fashioned. I mean, the whole entire high school had lunch together every single day at 1 o'clock. And, you know, the underclassmen bring out the food for the table that the upperclassmen kind of, you know, administer. Uh, right. It was uh, it was a special place, but that kind of started a sartorial inclination for me. It's interesting that it that you speak about that fondly throughout the entire time, because, you know, I would say that for many people, when you have to wear a wardrobe, but, you know, I've spoken to folks who went to Eaton and other places, and it's like the wardrobe and the the outward appearance is is very strict, right? And so how you have to look, how your hair is, what you can do. And so much of that, as they got older, they just really wanted to push back against that and and to get away from it. And it's only, and I don't know, maybe it's like only now you're like, well, you know, actually I do like that, or I miss that, or I'm nostalgic for, you know, the rules, but it sounds like you loved it and never went away. I applied to Eaton College because they wore tailcoats and my parents wouldn't <laughs> let me go. And that is the truth. Uh, and they were like, no, no chance. You're not, (laughs) what are you, what are you talking about? But there were some kids that took a gap year and went to Eaton or, you know, Harrow or rugby or Shrewsbury or what have you. Uh, but I was like, no, 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 no. There's only one that has (laughs) tail jack, but you know, I, in eighth grade, I thought PG Wodehouse, you know, walked on water. I mean, I, I just had this, this crazy kind of old fat, by the way, before we get any further, can we just do a quick wrist check? What kind of, what, oh yeah, what, what this is uh this is a the new Seiko diver. If full disclosure, Seiko sent this to me as a gift. I I am not I it's a handsome. Piece. I'm, I'm not of the means to purchase a watch at the moment, but it is yes. I'm I love it so much. What do you have on? I have uh I got a, I got a Grand Seiko. Um, the is this SBGY the zero zero three? Yeah, this is the 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 limited edition and um a wonderful story about this. But man, it just 
it just makes my heart sing just looking at at this it's i think it was the 20th anniversary of the spring drive and so there's no um it's a super clean just radiant sundial and uh it's it's uh it's lovely that's gorgeous yeah i'm very familiar with that watch that's very it's a new piece right this is this is a new passion and i have fallen uh deeply into the the watch game uh in a, in an almost troubling way but early on during the quarantine um i couldn't sleep i mean you remember what it was like it just the whole the whole world was yeah. was truly upside down and uh and it was really stressful and we have two kids two two girls under 3 years old i know you have a beautiful young daughter and w- w- the 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 world was nuts and i couldn't sleep and so i found an old coffee table book about um watch movements and i picked mm. it up and um I've never slept so peacefully in, in, in years. And, uh, I woke and I was like, that's very strange. And so the next <laughs> night I, you know, read a little bit more about vintage, uh, Vacheron movements. And it just took me, it was just a blissful 20 minutes of just zooming, zooming out in the middle of the night. And so I started listening to podcasts and watching YouTube. And so going back and listen, re-listening to, you know, your interviews with, with Hodinkee and, 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 and so many others. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it. And of course, you know, philosophically, I, I've always just felt the the only finite resource in life is time. And there's only 24 hours in a day. And part of what makes podcasts so absolutely brilliant is, of course, it unlocks a 25th, a 26th hour because you're listening to it while you're doing other things. Yeah, it's passive. Yeah, it's 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 passive and it washes over you and it's very intimate. The, and then the other thing about the state of the internet is you can dive so, so deep. I mean, I was listening to one fellow from South Africa talk about watch engravings, and then he just went into French pistols from the 17th century for two hours. And I was, re- I was, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. It was just <laughs> <laughs> so, the kind of hard hitting news you come to blam on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it really does in, in this crazy world where who even knows what tomorrow looks like? Um, you know, and I, I couldn't leave my house for for so long that I went inward into these miniature little mechanisms um, to 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 find a little bit of of, of peace and quiet. Um, it's it's quite lovely. Oh, so nice. thank you, thank you for introducing this passion to me. Oh, geez, well, it's um, once you go through the John Goldberger books, and even when you get into all the crazy like Italian only publishing books. Oh yeah, you realize it's that's the stuff where I'll I'll admit this embarrassingly, I bootlegged a couple of these Italian books because I looked at getting them. I think it's like the Damani Press, and I'm so sorry because I remember emailing them later and like just straight up admitting it and apologizing. They're like 800 euros for like one of these books. It's it's unreal. (laughs) Yeah, when I first got into it, I was like, "What?" I was like, "I'm not spending that," and I get it now because of all there's for a lot of those books in most cases it's uh all of the explanations that every single collector or someone like john goldberg or any of those folks sure, that are talking about sure. it's completely unauthorized like because the watch the watch companies like like look rolex they're not going to be like yeah sure uh yeah that was when it was made you know i mean it's it's only very 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 recently that some of these companies are being like okay fine we'll we'll admit this you know like long jeans will tell you anything and everything like they they have papers right. And we'll give you archive stuff for anything you ever want. But like very few of those companies are going to really be that transparent about their past. And not because of any sort of evil or malicious things. Or I know people will be like, oh, Swiss and money laundering. And like, no, it's just that for them, it's always about the future. And if if they, if their whole, you know, the whole product that they sell is like pretty much useless. It's a watch, right? It's basically, it's jewelry. It's it's a car on your wrist. And so sure. to, to start to admit that like, uh-oh. Like, you know, we're, we're really going to celebrate everything that happened 30 years ago and, and not really look towards the future. It's so like the, the, every watch CEO, like you'll sit down and talk with them and they're like, yeah, we're into vintage a little bit or we'll, we're okay with, but now I think they're realizing thanks to folks like Hodinkee and other people to where, especially now you're getting into new watches by understanding all of the old ones. Well, you also have this incredible new paradigm in retail period, right? So, I mean, how bananas that some of the great uh, houses didn't even have any e-retail presence going into the quarantine. I mean, I'm talking a few months ago, but what, what I mean is that you have these stars, these naturally talented, extraordinary 
what a hundred years ago we'd call merchants, um, who now have, you know, found their own rhythm on YouTube. For example, you know, you take a guy like Mark Cho, w- what he's putting out just uh, on a daily basis, vertical on the iPhone, oh, yeah. um, not super polished, is he he is an an unbelievable uh you know showman storeman merchant uh salesman businessman but he really can convey whereas like a guy like T Masso you know or or the watchfinder guy on YouTube oh, yeah, yeah. who is giving you so much detailed information um my godfather kind of a, a Dallas legend who was a, a friend of my grandfather's and, and father was um a man named Stanley Marcus who you know was the head of, of Neiman Marcus which really yeah. put Dallas on the map and he could sell, you know, for the first 15 years of his career, he only sold women's shoes. And what he learned doing that, um, you know, how to really read a customer, that kind of salesmanship. When I was in college, my first job was at an old haberdashery in Cambridge Square called the Andover Shop. Well, a and legendary haberdashery. Yeah. That's, that's... A, a, leg- a legend, kind of a dying breed of, of places. And yeah. I was the youngest employee there by 40 years. And <laughs> I had an absolute an absolute blast just just learning um learning relationships learning how not to be presumptuous lear- learning how to elicit an emotional response through storytelling of well crafted items was this always a thing though for you because it, it sounds like you know you you really gravitate towards places where you can learn from from elders uh i th- i i you know you know what's always been a central theme is storytelling Okay. I I think the the human brain makes the sense just understands the world around us through narrative. And it, it I think it's always been thus and the great storytelling from religion yeah. uh to uh you know the 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 epic poems. I I was a English literature major in college and you know I I just think the the art form for me that was so compelling was overlapping visuals with audio and cinema. I grew up loving movies, but I graduated college in 2006. So if you can Uh-oh. just kind of imagine that time, I went into college shooting high eight videos on a camcorder mm-hmm. and kind of cutting and dubbing them to VHS, you know, in real time. And when I came out, I had a digital camera and I knew how to use Facebook, which you know, was started by a, a classmate of mine freshman year, um, to, you know, to, to tell my own stories. And so that became really, really compelling and brought me out to Hollywood afterwards. Uh, but things like watches or things like clothes or, or, or anything that kind of adorns one's life. I love, I love to know the story behind it. I mean, I just bought going back to watches and then I'll shut up. I had to track down an out of print trivial pursuit edition to find watches because I'm at the point now where I just need (laughs) flashcards. I just need flashcards in my pocket to remember the real, um, the real sicko stats and reference numbers, you know, from the 1930s and forties. Jeez. Well, I, I definitely respect that you're, you're not you're not skimming the surface like you're like well look if the information's out there i might as well get it and retain it versus you know a casual observer i i i do think it comes back a little bit to just the nature and nurture of how i was raised um and and that is you know my siblings were all very high achieving and uh all had their own lives but we subscribed to every newspaper and, oh, and many magazines. My my mother, when she was uh, at Oxford, she won a contest to be a contributing editor for a year at Vogue magazine, um, in, in the English Vogue. Okay. And uh, and so we always had newspaper, uh, you know, magazines. And when I was really young, I would always just tear out what now was right click save image as, you know, for <laughs> compulsive image hoarders like myself. Initially it was just tearing pages out of magazines and creating mood boards and, and saving it. And here I am, here I am making coffee, which is really just brown caffeine water. But it's everything. It's the ultimate lifestyle. It's a moment. It's it's a it's a ritual. It's something you share with friends, but it's also a very private uh behavior. And coffee can be anything to everybody. So, you know, if I can provide it fresh to people, how can we package that to to again elicit an emotional response? Wow, 
Well, let me just dial this back for a second because you 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 finish school, you study English literature, and then you jump to LA to act. When when did acting because I think a lot of people know you as an actor and you know from all the mm. stuff that you've done from the shows and movies and YouTube and stuff. So when did acting enter the picture? Because this is especially coming from you know, I mean, I'll just kind of confront the elephant in the room, like this extremely prestigious, high achieving, very educated family, and you pivot hard right, creative, <laughs> which is yeah. great. It's great, but it's like that's you. You go that way. How how did it go when you start talking to your parents that you're acting, and what made you like make the jump to LA? <sighs> Only through. Uh, years of retrospection if i realized I, I got into acting because i thought that's what i needed to do to make my mom love me she had always wanted to be an actress she gave it up when she got engaged to my father after they had met each other three weeks prior he was 24 she was 23 and she gave all that up she had auditioned on broadway uh her godmother was Catherine hepburn jesus and she put aside all of her dreams and my older sister uh, was very pretty growing up and, you know, she modeled and stuff for, you know, the local Dillard's ads in the newspaper. Okay. <laughs> and I was home alone one day. And so, you know, my mom brought me to this audition and I mean, I was, I, I was 10 years old and the guy came out and said, yeah, we'll shoot her, but we have to shoot the little brother too. And, you know, cause I was acting up in the waiting room and whatever he thought. So I started then doing these things and this is Dallas in, you know, the early nineties and mm -hmm. Austin had started developing a little film community. Um, Rodriguez was shooting really cool films like mariachi and whatnot down in Austin. And Austin was kind of becoming uh, a good production market. And so I got cast very quickly in a, CBS Hallmark Hall of Fame movie where I played uh, Angelina Jolie's little brother. Wait, in, what? In a, what year is oh, this? This would have been 1996. It's I can send you the DVD if you have a DVD <laughs> player. <laughs> I do. You're damn right, I do. Okay, so you're okay, so Jeremy. You're Jeremy I was I was I was a, I was a child actor. Nobody knows this. I was the I face of uh, Mighty Max uh, Bagel Bagel Bites commercials. I was, this was a, a secret thing that, cause I, I was an athlete growing up and I, I hung out with the nerds and I hung out with the theater kids, but I also, I was a I don't know, whatever I was, I was a kid and I liked dancing around at the different, you know, lunch tables. And so, uh, I never told anybody that I was doing, you know, uh, jello commercials and little movies in Austin on the weekends. So I had done it when I was really young and it was a way, it was a mother son project which, oh. you know, differentiated me from my siblings. And um, when we moved to DC, I remember shooting a big civil war epic in West Virginia. <laughs> uh, and it was cool, man. I mean, Robert Duvall played Robert E. Lee. Uh, I got to, I got to be on real movie sets. And then I was like, I I'm going to go to college and put all that aside. But I was always shooting videos and I was shooting videos with a camcorder because my mom had this little deck built to submit audition tapes to Hollywood even though we lived in DC for you or for and, her. Well, I wasn't submitting. She was dealing with the quote unquote agents, Ah, you know, but I'm I mean, saying, like, she builds the deck like to kind of help your career or was this like she had had it because she was still pursuing hers? No, 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 no. This was all, uh, her, her living vicariously through my up and coming acting career as a child actor. Oh my uh, God. Okay. But, I, and I don't want to say I was forced into this or anything. I mean, this was, it was kind of cool. It was kind of exciting. And yeah. it was just a project I had with my mom. And like I said, my dad traveled a lot and I was the older sibling because my older brother and sister were both away at college. And, but I also got into music and I was playing music. Long story short, I was just shooting sketches with all my friends. And, um, it got to the point at, uh, in high school before YouTube, uh, there was an assembly after high school once a week and we just sold it out. We would shoot, we would, we would just kind of screen movies that I shot with my friends. And it became a thing where teachers started getting cameos. I submitted one of my tapes with my college application and like the headmaster had a sketch and, and we raised money uh, for uh, the nearby homeless shelters and food credit from McDonald's. So it was kind of this entrepreneurial play and all that. And I just loved it. I loved, you know, one of the things about making anything that is performed is it is a collaborative effort. You know, with music, 
and you're an incredible musician, you know, you can shut the door and pull out a guitar and, and have something just to yourself. Yeah. With, with, with acting, with, with a filmed content, it's not like I can come home at the end of the day and just unwind by doing some monologues. <laughs> you know, I'd, <laughs> I'd cry myself to sleep. Uh, but I thought the collaborative part was so fun. You know, earlier we were talking about looking through an older cousin's dislogic binder. Well, if making videos and putting that out is fun, let's do it. And so I started this little ad agency called Milestone Media. Uh, uh, clever. Clever. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I'm like, I'm 24 at the time. And I'm, I start signing, signing these brands for their digital marketing budget, which was peanuts at the time. I mean, they were like, yeah, okay, you want to make YouTube videos? And I was like, no, 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 no banner ads, you know, no collegehumor.com type stuff. I'm just going to make it really cool. And so I signed, I did a deal with Range Rover and K-Swiss and Vizio, and I was just making videos for them, but I was kind of short staffed. So I had to act in all the videos and those videos got millions of views back when that was a really big deal, back yeah. when the algorithm was totally different. And I started getting cast in, in, in TV shows and movies. So you were never and like, I, I'm going to try to like be, you know, it, it wasn't like, I'm going to go audition. I mean, cause you know, like say like Mad Men, like how did Mad Men happen? Mad Men was when I started acting again. Um, because I had gotten a little buzz for who, what are these videos? And, you know, I, I made the videos, which are totally opposite of the algorithm today. Today, if you're making content, you just need to keep on putting stuff out there. Yeah. And my, the small sliver I was trying to capture is, uh, you know, I, I always said to my creative partners, look, I don't want everybody to see this video, but I want most people who have watched this video to watch it over and over again. And that's what happened. We made them so complex that they rewarded the fourth viewer, the fourth, the fifth time viewing. And they really became rather intricate, kind of little fun video jewel boxes. I don't know what I wanted when I was 25. I always, I grew up loving movies. Right. And, you know, it, everything just changed. Um, television started to really, there were so many networks and I got cast as the lead of, you know, several pilots all in it's been eight pilots and not a single one of them has been picked up mm. uh in in my past and with a movie you know at least if you make a movie and it's a stinker at least it sees its day in court you know they troll it out to theaters <laughs> if a pilot doesn't get picked up and most pilots don't it'll never see the light of day and in hollywood you kind of have at most five or six months of dead time when before your last hot thing disappears and so out of sight out of mind Mad Men was super cool. And there's a number of projects that I've done that I, I really enjoyed and I was so grateful. But to be honest, Jeremy, I just, it just didn't fill me. It just didn't fill me up. So you do all these movies and acting and, and all this stuff while you're out in LA. How does the relationship evolve with your mom? Well, uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard because uh, I fell out of love with acting a long time ago. And I had a enough of a career where it was real, where I thought, yeah. I always felt you never, ever, ever give anything up until you know enough to know exactly what you will be giving up. So I had put in my paces for a long time. Um, you know, for example, when I was six years old, I wanted to take Taekwondo. Okay, well, I took it and my parents were like, you can't quit. So six years later, I got a black belt and I went to Taekwondo every day for six years. Um, do I practice Taekwondo or think about it ever? No, but that kind of ethos is okay, just kind of ingrained. And so I thought, right. all right, well, I have to, I have to really give it my all. And a number of things happened in my life that, um, just broke my heart. I, 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 I met my wife, uh, we were dating and, you know, around that time, shortly beforehand, I had a younger sister who I was very close with and she passed away. And, um, it, really was awful for our family. And then when my wife and I got married shortly after my parents separated, going on 43 years of marriage. Jesus. And um and it was very hard. Uh it was all hard and I was kind of coming to terms with the fact of okay, I'm not getting any younger. Um I think the world, the the consumer experience mm. of uh movies and television and all that and streaming is is rapidly changing. Um if I were to solve strictly for satisfaction, what would I be doing? 
And I knew that involved building something from the ground up using storytelling and using, you know, my skill set of, I don't know, poptimism, if that's what you would call it. Like everything that I do should have just creative joy in it. And it's fairly colorful and it's a little happy-go-lucky, but also mm-hmm. fairly uh, dark and subversive if you watch some of these videos over and over. <laughs> uh, and I thought, I thought, okay, like I, I, I kind of just went all in on this, on this coffee thing originally as a, as a side project. And uh, it has it has brought so much satisfaction, and I've been able to use all the things that I love that I gleaned from acting. You know, there there just comes there comes a point uh, where, again, the only finite resource in life is time, and while I have momentum to change, uh, while I can fight this sunk cost that I think I've put into acting, let's let's really try something else. Well, as as you decide, you're like, okay, I'm focusing more on things that, in you know, in your opinion, are are far more impactful and you can control more of the narrative. And, and, and obviously, you know, there's more entrepreneurial aspects of the coffee business and what you're doing. What, how did it go when you told your mom and your family, that's like, Hey, I I was going to be an actor. Now I'm not going to do it. Because the the one thing that I'm kind of taking away is there's a lot of calculated explanations that you're giving to the decision-making that you're doing versus like, fuck, like, fuck you. This is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I want to do it. And I'm not saying right. you have to say that to your parents. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of reasoning behind all the explanations you're giving me. A long time ago, I realized that the downsides far outweigh the upsides of telling somebody that you're in a project because <laughs> most of them never see the light of day. Right. I mean, I've been in over 50 movies and TV shows and it, collectively they haven't had a 50 resume impact. <laughs> and so sure. okay. I, I, I have, I have always just learned, uh, under promise over deliver when it's public, it'll happen. But, you know, I just started showing up, um, every single day to the quote unquote office to start working on this coffee thing. And we did a Kickstarter. And so when it became real, it was still that, but no, my mom still thinks I'm, I'm kind of acting and stuff. And my dad, you know, whenever he's around, uh, his friends who, don't know a thing about Hollywood. All he wants to do is pull out his phone and show him impersonations I do of people. It, it, he couldn't be more happy that like, oh, my son, like the shiny. But that was kind of the role I played amongst my siblings, you know, when we mm. were the, kind of like the Von Trapp family and the kids came out to present to the dinner guests. And so, yeah, I wore a coat and tie, you know, to high school. I wore a coat and tie to dinner at my house a lot. And so I was the, hey, I'll dance and I'll sing for the guest. And my brother was, you know, very sharp and would have some interesting comment on the markets and, you know, my sister. So it, it's kind of always just been in me. It's it's a little pathetic, really. I just kind of want to be like, hey, look at me, look at me. <laughs> I agree with all the stuff you said, except the pathetic thing, because I think from a lot of this stuff, especially as, you know, you and I are about the same age, where we really start to process especially as parents, right? Because we start to process, how do we want to parent? How were we parented to? And, oh my gosh, what does that mean for me right now? Because I think, you know, and this is where, you know, we'll kind of get to the podcast, because I think there's something that also clicks a little bit more as an adult in which you, I don't know what it is. It's just a time of your life where you just start to kind of like unpack and sort of detangle your youth. And maybe if it, maybe some of it's quarantine and the fact that like I've been extremely nostalgic lately. I watched the movie Beethoven the other night and cried. <laughs> like fucking Charles Grodin. Sorry, excuse my language. But that's like, the, you know, that's the coolest though. That's the, that is one of the great reviews. I hope that's in the first pull quote of the podcast. <laughs> this is your show though. <laughs> just like, but it's like there's something there where I'm really trying to just process my youth and as i've been doing that there's things that i've thought about that i'm very fond of and there's also things that i look back now and i'm like wait like that was weird like oh yeah i'm not gonna do that with my daughter or you know what this happened a lot and i'm gonna Mm. move heaven and earth to try to give her this type of life too and so you know with that i'm you know i'm just kind of because it seems like you, this, there's been a lot of processing on your end of that too. Well, I think I think part of it is, you know, only only looking in the rearview mirror does A lead to B lead to C. 
Right. Uh, you know, yeah. Steve, Steve Jobs has that uh, now classic commencement address from Stanford where he makes that exact point. Um, you know, I, I found so much just life has taught me that we, we think of our brains as these truth seeking organs. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, I've got a pretty sharp brain. I'll get to the matter of it. But the truth is our brains are really just loyal press secretaries that just <laughs> rationalize whatever we just did. Yeah. you know, in our, in our deep subconscious and, and can string together a pretty good story about like, Oh no, no, no. But I'm, this is why this makes sense for, for me at least. Um, I agree with you. And I, and I also think it's just a hard emotion to parse. And so again, coming back to podcasts, I really think it's an extraordinary thing that allows room to breathe and, uh, context to come in, you know, the, the, the rectangle screen is extremely efficient at cutting out context. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've found through, you know, certainly through Instagram and, you know, it started on AB testing early Huffington post days that, uh, our brain responds quicker to emotion, uh, than to factual news. Yeah. And incentives matter. People are driven by incentives. And when the incentives is up the click rate, up the click rate, but anyways, that's a whole nother avenue of conversation. No, no, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, to, to go to your podcast, I mean, obviously with, with you and your dad, cause I, I remember when we first started talking about this, you know, you had done, uh, some of these interviews and you send them to me and I was like, oh my gosh, that, you know, the show is, is great. And these, these interviews are great with this guy, but for me, and, and maybe it was because of what I was processing, but like, I was like, this show is you and your dad. It's like mm, mm. you and your dad connecting in this really sort of beautiful way. I mean, how did all this kind of start and begin? It started, uh, the idea started when my, when my parents separated, I, you know, not to linger on it, but no, it's okay. I think, I think, I think this statistic is when, when parents survive the death of a child, it's, it's something unbelievable. It's something like 94 or 95% of married couples separate within five years because the mourning invariably turn, you, you blame the other, you blame yourself. It's different, uh, processing over time and it just becomes very, very toxic. And such was the case with my parents. Um, and it was just really sad. And so as I started to, you know, build my own family here in California mm -hmm. and it is tough because I'm the only one who's not in Dallas. Mm. And, um, you know, I have chosen kind of this different path, which ho Hollywood is attracts people from all over the world. And I intentionally wanted to go somewhere where, you know, nobody knew your family. Uh, yeah. And not, not, not that they do, but in certain financial worlds, I don't know, I, that could be helpful. And sure. none of that even, even matters. Um, which is what I wanted for myself. I also have always kind of been in awe of my dad. I mean, my, my dad, my dad's father was abandoned on a doorstep in Australia in 1904 and grew up homeless, grew up begging, was arrested, thrown in jail. A judge took pittance on him, but in the early 1900s, you know, uh, juvenile jail in Australia was grim and a lot of people died. And, uh, he, grew up in orphanages and was a stowaway on a ship and made his way to South Africa. And it's a pretty extraordinary story. And my dad honestly grew, was born in California, but he grew up in Mexico city. Mm. Uh, he grew up pretty rough and was shipped off to kind of a, not a fancy military prep school. I mean, this was the B sides for sure. The school doesn't exist anymore, but it's all that my, his parents could afford. And he goes from a military prep school and then he goes to the Naval Academy and then he transfers to Harvard and then he gets a scholarship to Oxford and then he gets an MBA from Stanford. And Jeez. he kind of builds this life for himself um, and marries my mother. And then they build this, uh, this uh, you know, <clears throat> business in, in Texas. And I just think we went from homeless to Harvard in one generation. Actually kind of to put more of a fine finer point on it because my father you know for for 10 years was the head of the federal reserve bank in in dallas yeah. and the fed among its other duties you know prints our currency and so in one generation the fisher family went from begging for money to literally printing it for the most powerful economy in the history of the world yeah and so i think 
you know, my brother and I, it's like, uh, where do we go from there? What, like, where, 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 where do you, how do you continue that progress? And I don't know what the answer to that is. Uh, I also, you know, my dad's kind of an enigma in many ways. I take after him in cadence of speech and behavior and the way I look. Uh, I also, he drives me nuts. He totally drives me nuts. And Typical like, parent. He, yeah, totally. Right. And so I've always, always loved podcasts and he, um, look, because of some of his positions, uh, he has really interesting friends and I thought, okay, not in, not in print journalism, not in podcasts, nowhere on television. Have I ever seen a multi-generational interview, but I have been privy to a lot of real candid conversations, uh, you know, at our kitchen counter with right. very influential people. And, um, those conversations are fascinating. And so rather than something that's topical or news of the moment, what if I could have a conversation with me and my dad and kind of a living legend, um, mostly from the business world, but from all sectors and talk about, Hey, what wisdom would you pass on to your kid? What, what do you want your grandkids to know? And can you tell us the story of how you, yes, we'd love to know the successes, but, but how, how did you deal with the failures? Mm. Um, really give us the, the nuance. And it, uh, we recorded these initial conversations and they really became something. And, um, you know, I kind of sat on them for a while and, uh, was busy with a bunch of other things. And, 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 and now I thought this would be a perfect time to kind of launch it because with COVID we can then begin to, uh, do season two in real time and yeah. record these remotely. Um, but I, I needed to make sure that the format worked because, you know, us just talking to big names was, was going to be vaguely soulless. And I really wanted to know to make it personal, to not just tell me about your kids, but what's, what's your daughter's name? Let's, let's talk, let's, let's get into it. Because again, I feel like that's really good nutrition and I, I like aspirational content and I like evergreen wisdom. Here's hoping that these podcasts will be relevant in five years. Well, I mean, first off, they definitely will be, uh, but I mean, that, cause that's the thing too, is, you know, when I was listening to these interviews, I was like, oh my gosh, because the people that are on, yeah, like you're right, because of the connections of your dad, I mean, they're very, um, the guests are extremely disarmed in the sense mm -hmm. like there's, there's no, at least from what I heard, there's no like PR person in the room. He's like, actually, um, can, we need to strike that from the conversation. Uh, they didn't mean that word, uh, you know, because like when you have corporate communications of people like, like Jamie Dimon's right, that aired, like, right. I mean, he, there's nothing on there that's like dangerous, you know, but like there's things on there that you're like, oh man, that's a hot take. Like, sure. and to be honest, a lot of the stuff he said was, it was great to hear that from, uh, and, but hearing that, it, it, that's not something that you would just kind of stumble upon in the Wall Street Journal or you would read or hear period on a podcast at all. And the kind of like perfect storm of the dynamics of you and your dad, because given the fact that I've been doing a podcast for a long time, like when you're the only person interviewing, it's, sure. it's tough to kind of kick the conversation ball into which sometimes when you have two people doing it, you can have one person set out a point and then the other interviewer answers that. So now the interviewee has to respond because it's like, well, shit, right. these other two dudes just gave me an answer. I need, I need to, I have to, <laughs> I have to equate with them. And so there's this really beautiful conversation volley that happens throughout the entire you know the entire show but it's with someone like you know like jamie diamond or ajay banga talking about right. like his you know the trouble uh and the the, the trials and tribulations he had of of being uh, a person of color and a minority in a extremely yeah. you know all white c-suite world and right it's that just hearing all that and then also as an aside I mean, it, the, the dynamic of you and your dad in some ways, and, and maybe I'm editorializing, but like, it sounds like you kind of are both learning a little bit more about each other in this too, even though it's a father and son. Very, very much so. Uh, you know, and it continues to be this, this new relationship that I have with my father. But the other thing that I'll point out is, you know, my dad, a few moments ago, I was telling you how like, well, I've, I've kind of always been in awe of my father's story. And, 
you know, I want to be a success in, in his eyes. I, mm-hmm. I, I really strive towards a lot. Well, he feels the same way. In fact, he's always felt that his father never really saw him shine. And so I was just re listening to the, to the Jamie Dimon podcast. The very first question was tell, tell us about your grandfather. Yeah. And then, you know, you couldn't get him to be quiet. Yeah. It was just so personal. All he wanted to do is talk about this extraordinary man who he looked up to, who who represented all that was that was good in the masculine example, and uh, you know, in the professional example, and 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 he as right out of the gates, it just was personal. Same with Ajay Banga. His father was an extraordinary general in the Indian Army. Yeah, and went as soon as he started talking about his father, then there's no pretense and there's no BS. And that's where I think, you know, this, um, this little kind of unique three stool, three legged stool interview, uh, is really exciting. Um, and then the other, the other thing too is, yeah, someone like Jamie Dimon, I mean, or Randall Stevenson, you know, head of AT&T, these are, these are big deal guys. And I remember they were surprised when there was no camera. They're like, oh, do we, do, do we need lighting and camera? It's like, no, 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 no. This is just there's the mic. I'm going to turn it over on the table. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And you could see their shoulders just drop from the, and they're like, oh, oh, I'm just talking to my buddies. Oh, okay. And it's like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's what we're after. That's, that's the beauty of podcasts, really. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And that's, you can hear that in, I mean, I'm not, I'm a bit of a news junkie. And so I've seen, and I had heard a lot of those folks before, but the, the tone at which you hear these, you're like, oh, this wasn't, I'm going to repeat a calculated response that I read. Or, you know, this is just like right off the dome. And it, it's, just, I mean, in a lot of ways. That really should have been the name of the podcast. <laughs> off, off the dome with Miles and Richard. I mean, it's great. But yeah, I mean, it, it makes me wonder too, especially when you were talking about this dynamic of you and your dad. And, you know, because I was writing you guys an email before to just kind of be like hey you know congrats you know we we did this and it's funny and maybe this is just me is like i'm constantly constantly i want every family to be a happy family okay Mm -hmm. and i want you know so much that i want one of my good friends lost his father at a young age and i've been slowly losing my father at Mm -hmm. my age um you know, from dementia and Parkinson's and all this other stuff. Um, and so as I've seen myself process that, and I've talked to other people who have already processed grief so much now, I, even when like my, my wife, which she probably wouldn't care for me to say this, but like sometimes, you know, like she deals with frustrations of and arguments within her family. And I'm just like, no, 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 like this is all you have mm. and all you're going to get. So you have to find some way to make the best of the people that are around you. And the truth is not every single person even gets the the blessing or curse of a parent. It's true. And, and what that parent looks like. And so I'm like, I am heartbroken by the tragedies that many friends of mine and people I know have experienced through the parental dynamics. Mm. But my God, and I'm not even trying to get too religious here, there is so much joy and beauty in the reconciliation and building of that paternal relationship Mm. that I'm like, oh, please, if you can do that and you can still make that case, even if you think your parents crazy with politics right now or your parents whatever that is there's so just find something you can do together or discuss and like that there's so much joy and weird unnatural supernatural i don't know like healing that's kind of taking place such a beautiful sentiment yeah I, I, i totally agree and and certainly if these times have taught us anything else you're absolutely right when you boil it down, that's all we got. Yeah. I mean, and even, even with Jamie's episode, he's like, family is the first thing. I'm like, are you fucking kidding? Like, really? You made yeah. $2 trillion and you're still saying family. Okay. Wow. Okay. You're right then. Yeah. You're right. Okay. 
And you can, you honestly, it, he, he lives up to it. You can see it in their beautiful holiday card they send out. And it's just, it's one of the, you know, a lot of people have like that, that one, well, maybe, who, who, who knows? Uh, but I, I, I think that's a, that is a lovely sentiment. And, and honestly, one of the upsides of, of being uh, almost boarded into our house for the last four months has yeah. been, I will, I will never just the bonding, the sheer proximity of me to my, my young daughters. One is six months old and one's almost turning three. Um, that'll set the tone for the rest of our collective lives of our mm-hmm. family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, we are really close, even just physically close, but <laughs> that, you know, I didn't necessarily have that all the time growing up with, uh, with my family. Yeah. Now, Jeremy, let me, let me just ask because, uh, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fanboy, man. I've listened to every podcast and I know other people have too. Okay. And I want to, I want to know if you could talk a little bit about, I mean, look, this was a blind incoming call to you. I'd listened to so many of your podcasts, but, um, I think it was, uh, it was my buddy, Fred, uh, Fasselberry, you know, you, you guys out of the gate had a, a very sincere conversation and I thought, man, good on, good on Jeremy. I gotta, this is the guy. If I can get this podcast out in the world, I want, I want this guy. And so kind of blindly reached out to you and we struck up a conversation and this is a partnership. I mean, you're, you're producing yeah, yeah. this and I think yeah. it's so cool. And you have built up Blamo. I mean, the Instagram posts today are throwing a, around words like mogul yeah, and other yeah. things well, I but, paid those guys, but, so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> tell t- tell me about as as you've kind of begun this next chapter of taking on a slew of podcast uh how's that process been and and how are you enjoying it well okay look you're you you know you own your own business when you see the fruits of your labor right and that's always been the case from when i was doing run of the mill and clothing stuff and 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 even playing music when you're like okay i can work on this longer and i can in most cases i can make it better so when i put more time in i can make something and i can make it better and then when i put it out in the world you know occasionally and sometimes like people will be like hey i really like this or this does something for me so it like just turns up the drive uh and, you know, the will to, to keep doing that despite, you know, whatever, whatever other things that are happening. And so I think like, you know, when we did the Mr. Porter show, which was great, I mean, it had its ups and downs, you know, um, I was like, oh, I really like trying to find other ways to help people tell their story. And like when you, you, you called me and you're like, hey, I kind of have this and I did it. And, you know, and to be honest, and this is no shot against anyone like that, I've had that call a bunch of times from people who are like, I have right, this idea. Right, right, right. And, and when, you know, but when the rubber meets the road, you find out there was no execution. There was no, you know, and there was no understanding of what it took to make that. And so you and I, we were talking and then you sent over some of these things that were like, to be honest, like done where I was like, wow, okay. Like maybe we can cut this or this or like, Oh wait, this was, and so that in a lot of ways was kind of like added fuel to the fire of what we were already working on. Cause there's, there's like four, maybe five other shows in production, but there's so much yeah. further out because to be honest, we're a lot of it, we're starting with nothing. So right. with this and with you, I mean, it was Start, starting, starting with nothing during a global plague. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, I mean, to be honest, in a lot of ways, it was like this massive blessing and like answer to prayer in the sense that like, okay, here's more stuff to work on. But here's something that I got a lot out of by just working on it. I mean, it's funny because that was the thing. Like I listened, geez, I've listened to some of those interviews like 15 times or so because I would like, wow. you know, I'd listen and then I'd storyboard it. And then, you know, we have a, a lot of people working on this too, which was yeah, a, yeah. a huge, in a lot of ways, like relief too, into where it's like, okay, there's, we have an editor, we have a producer, we have, we have people helping write press releases. We have people helping an illustrator. I mean, you guys have been, no, superb. Truly. It's it's so, so cool. It's so that's been huge to do, but that kind of like continued to make me more excited to like, okay. And also, you know, with Blamo and stuff, like there's, there's an audience of people that want to hear this. And especially from, you know, looking and listening to other podcasts, you're like, oh my gosh, like there's so much good stuff out there. It's just trying to get heard and trying to find a way to do that. So it was, I mean, I'm, you know, I hope it's obviously the first of many, but like that just lit up this fire uh, and excitement in me to continue to do more and more. Um, The question is like the million dollar question is like, can everyone keep this up 
whenever there's some form of normalcy, right? Like, what is that going to look like into which, you know, because my day is like I watch my daughter for a few hours a day and then I basically right. work till one in the morning. I go to bed and I right. kind of do it again. No, it's so it's so crazy. But I, I think actually when quote unquote normalcy returns. Yeah. Uh, however that happens, it'll actually be a boon because, you know, if yeah. you look at the statistics, uh, you know, if you if you really dig deep into the hot pod email, uh, the Nick Qua emails, Nick, what you're referring to. Nick Qua. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so <laughs> long that, you know, I have to click to open the actual website link because it extends what Gmail allows oh, yeah. as far as the, the content, you know, but, you know, the people were listening to more podcasts when commutes were more regular and, you know, life was a bit more active traditionally. So yeah. but I, I do just have to compliment you again. And I knew this because you're a musician, but you just have great ears. No, oh, thanks. And the way you listen to other people talk, you know, not everybody does that. So somebody said the other day, Hey, the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth, use them in proportion. <laughs> and I just thought there's truth to that. There's Sounds like a C.S. Lewis quote there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, or or just a uh, you know a curmudgeon uh, old Texan. Uh, <laughs> but but you know a lot of people, it's a lot of talk and it's not a lot of listening. And I, I think you do that extremely well as an interviewer. Well, thanks. Well, I mean, listening to your guys' stuff, I mean, it's it's good. I'm and I'm excited for folks to hear more, and obviously for you guys to record more too. I mean, I think you know, thankfully, with the way that we're going to try to structure stuff, there's going to be very very little gaps between content. Uh, yeah. And, and I think, I think yeah. there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of ideas too. Like I really would love to interview, you know, in season two and potentially season three, uh, you know, guests and their children together. Uh, I'd love to interview, you know, a mother and daughter uh, who are kind of at the same, same ages. And I yeah. think this kind of intergenerational dynamic uh, is not only is it real, but you just, you you cut through a lot of the BS and you kind of get you, you get you get to kind of what matters. And if you don't, you get called out on it, which I really like. Like I remember <laughs> we were talking in, to a couple of guys, you know, and they're like, well, you know, that's of course the stock was at an all time high, but I was going through my divorce and, you know, I leaned to my dad and I was like, oh yeah, dad, where was your head at as, as you like left mom, you oh, know, geez. which, and, and, and so he's kind of on the fence. And then the person, the guest we're talking to also turns to my dad and is like, yeah, I want to hear this. You know, so everybody's just getting really real, or as you <laughs> as you say, off the dome. <laughs> and there's your pod. <laughs> who well, now, who who would be uh, the ultimate uh, father son treatment from your if you just had a dream guest? Uh, more from kind of the blamo world. Who who would just be a fun person? You'd be like, ah, I'd love to hear what they have to say. Uh, on blamo or on your show? On Blamo, I mean, you know, is it like your, uh, your Ralph Lauren type? Is it your uh, Ralph's you know, cool? The- but some of those things, and I don't know. Maybe this is like okay, well, like because the thing with Blamo too, I've always tried to do. I mean, we'll, I'll record for as long as possible and be like, okay, how much more can we disarm each other? You know, but yeah. some of these people are so media trained that, especially with someone like Ralph Lauren, like no way they're not going to let anything that is too revealing out you know it's it's willy wonka like and, and you can't see all the oompa loompas making everything you just you can't do it and right. so i don't know i mean i there's a lot of musicians that i've you know that i've loved that i would like want to try to get on but um i mean this is fine i'll, I'll release this on here um we're talking to paul smith for um cool for the season eight premiere um and that's going to be really exciting. Speaking of musicians, you had mentioned earlier uh, at the top from the Weezer Blue album. Yeah, uh, my older brother was seven is seven years older than me. Okay, and uh, he also went to Harvard, so his classmate was Rivers Cuomo. Um, oh, and then my classmate was Rivers Cuomo. So Rivers just took like <laughs> seven right. years off, right, and and had his deal, and is also just the cool. I mean, Weezer Blue album, top 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 ten every lyric and every lick on the guitar. Uh, But he, yeah, he just came back to school and was a really, you know, quiet kind of reserved guy, super nerdy guy, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah, so he was, he was my classmate as well. Well, Miles, this was really good. Um, I would, I would just, I would just like to say, um, 
shout out Blamo community. And uh, if anybody wants to try coffee, we roast and ship the day you order and deliver right to your house. If you use the code Blamo, it's 10% off and free shipping. Well, there you go. So All right. go go to the link in the show notes and type in Blamo and uh, thank thank that first cup to a uh, doctor, Dr. Kirkland. Who may well actually end up getting religious. Who knows where this podcast goes? <laughs> oh, man. I'm Yeah, that's a whole other podcast I'll have to make. It's like Jeremy's battle with the capital C church and and reading C.S. Lewis 100 hours a day. <laughs> all right. Sign, sign me up, man. Sign, Lord knows we all have the time in this yeah. day and age. So little excuses. Uh, this was this was a real treat, buddy. Thanks again. And, and, and um, you and I are at the start of a, a new journey together. So I'm just I'm so excited, man. Hi, hi, high five through the microphone. For sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, I'll see you. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Brendan Finn and produced by Blamo Media. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. If you want even more Blamo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo to join the Blam fam. You'll get access to extra episodes, a community slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Try it. Feels good. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.